I'm Benedict Spence, DP of the End of the Effing World Series 2, and you're listening to the Go Creative Show. Hey everyone, my name is Ben Consoli. I'm a director and owner of BC Media Productions. And this is the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. So today we're talking to Benedict Spence. Now, Benedict is the director of photography for the Netflix series, End of the Effing World. And we have a really interesting and different conversation on this episode than really we've had with any other DP, because Benedict basically walks us through his show rules. Now, we've referred to this as a, as a lookbook or a, a show Bible um, in other episodes, and a lot of DPs use this to maintain consistency across all the different episodes, especially when you're working with other directors of photography. But we've never really took an extremely in-depth look at what these things are. And Benedict basically walks us through, um, almost page by page, his show Bible, his show rules. And what's the most interesting to me is that they made the decision to be extremely strict about it. Um, And what do those restrictions mean in the cinematography? How do you get around those challenges? And sometimes he had to break the rules and talk to us about why he had to do that. So this is a really interesting conversation about... um, about, I guess, the pros and cons of having really strict um, uh, guidelines to your cinematography. And of course, we talk about the lighting and the cameras and all those things that he's using and why, because End of the Effing World has a really unique look to it. And uh, what you're going to be surprised at is how simple these scenes are to light sometimes. Like his simplistic approach will really shock you. So I'm sure you can tell that I'm excited to share this interview. And I know you guys are going to absolutely love hearing from Benedict Spence. Uh, But before we get there, a couple of things. Uh, Open Reel is giving 10% off to Go Creative Show listeners. So Open Reel is what I use for remote production with iPhones. And I suggest you check it out. If you mention Go Creative Show or my name, Ben Consoli, you get 10% off. And Soundstripe is offering 15% off to Go Creative Show listeners by using the code Go Creative Show at checkout. Now you can go to gocreativeshow.com forward slash Soundstripe. Of course, I want to thank our show's sponsor, MZ, Education for Creatives. I love those guys, and we're going to talk a little bit more about them later in the show. And of course, follow us across all of our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We've been feeding a lot of content into YouTube lately, and it's a great way to be able to have your questions heard on the show, and you're actually going to hear a lot of audience questions today during this episode. Uh, And of course, all things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. So let's dive right in because there's a lot to talk about and I can't wait to share this one with you guys. Benedict Spence, the cinematographer and director of photography for End of the Effing World. All right, so I'm here with Benedict Spence, the director of photography of End of the Effing World. Um, of course, it's not effing on when we're really looking at it on Netflix, but, you know, I got to keep it clean here so I don't get the explicit tag on this episode, uh, because in normal life, I would certainly be saying that word and having a great time doing it. And I hope you would too, Benedict. Thank you so much for being on. Uh, thank you for inviting me. So end of the effing world on Netflix. Um, this show has a lot of style to it. Like it has a lot of personality. It's funny in really crazy situations. I mean, it's, I I described the show a little bit just to get people up to speed because the concept of it is insane and the humor in it is really sharp, really good wit in that. So what is the show about? So the show is based on a graphic novel, um, a really sort of mega minimalist black and white pen drawn graphic novel. uh, And it is in essence about a very awkward pair of teenagers who fall in love in a sort of awkward, strange way uh, and uh, sort of accidentally kill someone. Um, And that's the first series. Um, And I won't say what happens at the end of it. Uh, But then, uh, yeah, and then there's a a second series where the two teenagers continue to be very awkward and in love and have sort of slightly awkward uh, things happen to them. Well, something, I mean, this focus on awkwardness, I think, is is important, but Mm. it's... It's awkward in a different way. Like the main character or one of the main character, James, he's 17 years old, at least in season one. Um, He's pretty sure that he's a psychopath. 
and is kind of on this quest to murder somebody in a way. <laughs> and um, and you're sort of creating this mood in the in the show where he is awkward, but he's he, you're you're you kind of have to toe this line where you need to project him in a way that is familiar to us as the way like a psychopath would act. Uh, but he kind of isn't one. So it's this really weird paradox between giving the audience what they expect from a main character who is a psychopath, but also letting the character sort of develop into one in a way. It's a strange, it's a strange line to be on, I think. And I'd love to hear about how you, what sort of, what sort of decisions you made in the cinematography to kind of make that happen. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, where where should I where should I start? All right. Well, let's start let's start in the idea that there are certain expectations of what uh, a a show or a movie about a psychopath looks like, and what does that mean? And did you take into the into into account any of those kind of preconceptions when thinking about the look of your show? Mm. Um, uh, the honest answer is uh, no. I mean, I sort of I, poor poor James. You know, he is. He says he's a psychopath, but really he's a sweet kid underneath. Um, and then, you know, if you, I don't want to give him too much away, but if you get into the second series, uh, he is a broken person. You know, we we <laughs> yeah. destroy uh, young James. Uh, and so this, this sort of, this kid who wanted to just, just his one dream was to be a psychopath and kill someone. Um, by the time we get sort of hip deep into the second series, we have really torn that out of him. Um, uh, <laughs> But you know, I, I sort of f f for me, the show is 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 more about a, a love story. For me, the, the show is more about uh, Alyssa and James falling in love, and that absolute awkwardness, and and that sort of they both come to an understanding separately about what life's about um, uh, from falling in love with each other, uh, and life is the opposite of what they both thought it was. And 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 for me, that's that's sort of that's the sort of key to it, um, uh, with an accidental killing on the side. Uh, <laughs> just that pesky little killing that just, happens just, just along little, the way. Just one little killing. Um, although I don't want to give anything away, but uh, yeah, I think I probably have already. Now, were you involved? Ah, it's fine. People in our audience are well aware of the fact that we let spoilers okay. slip out sometimes, but you know what? It's up to them to watch the show. And I'm sure anybody listening to this has at least seen a few episodes to get familiar you, with the look. You think, otherwise they're going to get pretty damn bored. Uh, pretty <laughs> bored. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If they stick around for the whole episode, they they must have been seeing something. Yeah. Uh, were you involved with the series from the very beginning? Uh, I was involved uh, with the second series from the beginning, but I didn't have anything to do with the first series. Um, which was an unusual thing. I've, I've never done a second series. So sort of to, to, to inherit uh, as a DOP, as a head of department, a second series is, is a sort of a, is an unusual thing, especially something which, you know, looked as strong as the first series. Uh, yeah. it, it did look excellent. Talk to me about the look of the, talk, I guess, talk to me about the look of the first series and how you, like, what did you walk into at the beginning of season two and how did you make it your own? Yeah, I mean, I'll be. I'm going to be totally honest and, and open with you about, about things. When I um, uh, when I was uh, asked about the second series, I was uh, thrilled because the first series is absolutely amazing. It looks fantastic. Dear people, Justin Brown um, shot the first half of it, and what he did was this sort of this like amazing sort of uh, super simple uh, thing. Uh, and and I was absolutely thrilled to be to be asked to um, to do the second series. Um, and um, uh, in my first meetings, um, you know, the brief from the executive producers was certainly, you know, take take what happened in the first series and expand on it. You know, we, they didn't want to get rid of the look of the first series. They wanted to take it a little bit further. They wanted to push that look. So, so for me, you know, my my immediate thing was, I'm going to have a little watch of the first series again. Um, uh, no. and, and then and then it started. And then the next stage was. How can I improve this? How can, well, how can I expand on this? How can I get my my crowbar into this and 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 make it bigger um, uh, and make it sort of better, although in a minimalist way because it is minimalist. How do you make something bigger and better in a minimalist way? Well, was there something kind of kind of fun about having those boundaries already set before you started? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, you sort of uh, I I think you know rules and instruction can be fantastically useful as a creative you know sort of to say we you know that's why i when i do a commercial or whatever I, I pick out references and we go make it look something like this and and the more you can build those references and in some ways they restrict you but actually in some ways 
you know, you can really creatively dig into something. So, you know, having, having, a, having a first series, even though I do think we sort of slightly moved away, we didn't, we were not a sort of a mimic of the first series. We, you know, we are definitely a continuation of the first series. Having the first series there as a, as a kicking off point was, was, uh, was, was very useful um, and, uh, and, and was the first time I'd ever experienced that. And of course, you had the graphic novel too as your uh, reference. Absolutely, totally. And, you know, uh, Roger Deakins' supercut from YouTube, which, which we watched a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so, so, so certainly, you know, sort of, we, um, uh, yeah, absolutely. The graphic novel was 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 a big part of it, um, uh, and and you know, so a, a lot of what we and I say I say we. Whenever I say we, I mean uh, my good friend Lucy Forbes, uh, who was the director of the first block, um, which which I shot on on series two. Um, so something we really wanted to dig into was the a sort of a, a, a weird combo of graphic novel meets a kind of a, a 90s indie movie, uh, uh, you know, so shot on film with not much money, uh, you know, in 1994. And somehow, but somewhere between those two things, between the sort of ultra simplicity of, of the graphic novel and this sort of, uh, sort of very simple minimalist film aesthetics, somewhere between those two things, we... we that's where we were aiming. You brought up the idea of simplicity, minimalism, mm. many times already. We've only, only been talking for a few minutes and it's been brought up a bunch. So uh, there, talk to me about that. Like what was minimal about it? What was simplistic about it? I mean, I think for me, the, the, the I mean, starting with the inception, the graphic novel is a line drawn black and white, uh, uh, sort of, you know, t almost nothing in in there, and so we, you know, we wanted to, to to continue that. And if you if you watch the show, um, there's almost no props in the show. There's almost no cast in the show. Um, there is nothing complex in the show. And and I tried really hard to have the cinematography also f f fall in line with that. You know, there's no flash camera moves. Uh, we use a limited selection of lenses. There's no lens flare. There's no atmos on night scenes. There's no fog or haze or anything. Um, uh, and, and in terms of the lighting as well, you know, I sort of really tried very, very hard to not light things, to use available light whenever possible, to have a little bit of negative fill here and there, to really shape what was available, rather than piling in with the 18Ks and the big lights, and which is what I probably do on a commercial normally. You know, you go to town, you go big beams of light, or you go whatever huge rate soft lights. And on this, um, I really, really, really wanted to strip that back. One of on when I say this on the end of the effing world, uh, one of the th things about it and it is actually it's quite a low budget show, so we didn't have the money to have huge rate beams of light and things like that. So you sort of have this form following function um, uh, of of yeah, c creatively this is what we set out to do, but it also actually fit in quite well with our with our budget and our schedule, um, yeah. which which was also minimalist. We got a question from the audience here on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, Amori Gad, A-M-A-U-R-Y underscore Gad. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, wants to know the main source of inspiration for the look of the season, of the series, but, you know, you're involved in season two. So where did that come from? Where was your inspiration? Uh, I mean, in, in, in all honesty, it was, you know, the, again, the inception of it is the graphic novel. Um, and then take a, uh, take a little bit of season one and take a lot of, you know, sort of Roger Deakins, uh, a little bit of Gordon Willis in there. You know, there's, there's you know, it's, it's, about, it's about light and shade. Uh, it's about, you know, it's a simplicity of lighting. I mean, I know bloody Roger Deakins is such a poster boy for, for DOPs. But, but, but for me, you know, he, he, doesn't, he does this sort of amazing uh, lighting without lighting thing where it's this amazing soft wraps of light and you're like, that's just, that's just a window, surely. Um, so, so, so trying to sort of emulate that, but with this nod to a graphic novel and with some kind of, you know, Coen Brothers 90s indie movie vibe. So yeah, I guess that's, that's in a nutshell. <laughs> to put that, all into, put that all into a coconut and shake it around and then pour it out into a glass. It sounds like you really embraced the, I don't even want to say limitations, but you know, the budget of the show, the reality of the show's ability to have large crews, many shoot days, big budget. It seems like you kind of embraced it and almost like, almost enjoyed it in a way. Yeah, massively. I mean, you know, look, th those, we, 
we never once were upset about our limitations. Limitations are fantastic. You know, limitations uh, and sort of the discipline of limitations can really inspire creativity. And, and that's really what I took away from this. And it's the first time I've ever done that. And I've been working for almost 20 years now. Don't tell anyone. Uh, <laughs> you know, I always thought more is more. But actually, you know, it was a fantastic exercise in, in less is more. Uh, and, and, I, and I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so certainly, um, uh, um, I forgot where I was talking about. <laughs> Well, you all right. So you've been in this industry for quite a while. You've been working for 20 years, like you said. Oh, wait, that's supposed to be a secret, but that's yeah, okay. The secret. secret's out. I have basically two. <laughs> so we're right, almost there. Um, but so, you know, you're you're used to, or at least it sounds like you are, you're used to having budgets that are, you know, this more is more budget appropriate for what you're working on and being able to kind of stretch the limits a little bit. What attracted you to something like this? Well, I mean, it's it's an amazingly cool story. You know, um, I uh, in in all honesty, I've done TV shows which have been lower budget. My my sort of my drama background is mostly comedy, where the budgets are exceptionally low. Yeah, but most of the time, I work in commercials where you're almost expected to order more lights. You almost need to have those lights, even for just sitting on the truck. You know, and that's definitely a more is more thing. You know, the client wants to see all these things out. Um, uh, so, what attracts me to the project? I mean, it's an, ama- it's an amazing story. It's 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 so well written. Charlie Cavell, the writer, is an uh, absolute genius. Um, and yeah, and and absolutely, I, I you know the, the first series is fantastic. My good friend Lucy Forbes was directing it. I mean, you know what's 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 not to love? Uh, yeah. And, and you know, again, the, the the beginnings of every. He's got a fantastic cast. The, the beginnings of all of of the basics of the idea of it are fantastic and therefore absolutely of course i want to i want to work on it yeah yeah i mean i i think i wasn't familiar with the show until our producer connor had you know told us that you, you wanted to be on suggested that i check it out and it really is like i i went through this process the same as i do with all the projects that i'm unfamiliar with that come my way is i'll like go to the trailer first get a sense of it start poking around different episodes and this is a really great show. And I think what, what I like most about it is it does kind of harken back to this nineties, um, indie movie sort of feel. And I think, especially now, I think there's this quest to have the slickest, most clean, best looking stuff possible. And you're, there's kind of, you're, there's a distance between what it was like in kind of the nineties sort of grungy filmmaking era and what it is now. I feel like even indie films now have this look that is more expensive. And there's something so refreshing about having this kind of 90s Cohen, like you said, Cohen Brothers indie film sort of vibe to it. I think it's really appealing. Good. Yeah, I'm glad you like it. I mean, yeah, I'm the same. I, I think, you know, there's a there's an hopefully there's an honesty which comes through on on the end of the effing world. Um uh where, you know, there's there's it's not perfect. You know, the the casts, you know, the casts don't always look perfect. But I mean don't say this to be Emmys, but the the lighting is not always perfect. Um, but it's real, you know. It's it it, it feels honest. Um, and, and you know, there's films these days like uh, Marriage Story and uh, Uncut Gems, which also manage to achieve that in an amazing way. And that and that that honesty allows you to really, really, really connect with the cast. Um, and uh, and yeah, I'm I'm definitely after 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 doing this show, I'm definitely of the opinion less is more as much as as possible. Um, uh, and, and simply because it, it allows you to connect to the cast. And also, to be honest, on set as well, I found myself, and this is something I've also taken with me since doing The End of the Effing World, you, you know, it, the, the less toots, the less things, the less crap, forgive my language, you have on set, the, the more the actors can act. Uh, and I think, you know, it, my job is to make things look pretty, but also my job is, I think, to enable cast to do their best possible job. Because let's be real here, you know, or everything we do is for them. Everything we do is to give them the best look and the best chance to perform on screen, really. So, you know, this, this less is more thing it really has... Uh, I, I do think, to whatever degree I can, it, it definitely helps cast. I also feel like comedy is one of those genres where you really do need to let the cast just do their mm-hmm. thing. Like, you've mm-hmm. got to give them room. Definitely. And, yes, and, absolutely. And strangely, comedies have the least... The smallest budgets, like what? It, it's so weird how it's just comedy shows, just in movies too. It's like they always live on such tight budgets, more so than really anything else. And um, I don't really understand that. It, it seems like, I mean, is there something to it? Is there a reason 
that works to just have comedy be on a tighter budget. Is there something to that? I think it's because you can get away with it, really. I think mm. it's, it, you know, um, yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, having done a number of comedy series in the UK, yes, it is, is definitely seen as the, the poor cousin to, to, to dramas. Um, uh, and, and it's always frustrating. But, you know, we, we always get through it and we always make something funny uh, and give, give, give comedy performers the, the, the space to do their thing. Um, yeah, but, you know, the, the end of the effing world definitely had a, more than a, a UK comedy budget. But, you know, c- compared to... And I don't want to go in on the Emmys. You know, I'm so thrilled that, uh, that 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 it's you know nominated alongside you know massive, massive, well budgeted shows like The Mandalorian and uh, and Homecoming and, and things like that. You go, wow! Oh my god, that's uh, yeah. for, for for a small for a small UK produced show, relatively small budget UK produced show. It's uh, it's it's quite something. I'm actually surprised it was. I'm surprised we were talking about budget because it doesn't look like that. Like it, oh, it, it looks nice. like it looks like everything is purposeful. Not to say mm. that it's not, but it looks like you know budget went into making it look this way. It, it, mm. And it's interesting to hear from you about the restrictions that you had, and also mm. kind of your way of working within them. And I want to transition our conversation to into your show rules book, kind of this. Mm. It's yes. like the show bible. People refer to it as sometimes when they're on the show. Um, this is kind well, first of all, why don't you tell us what, what is this show Bible? What, what does that even mean for the people that may not know? And then I want to dive into it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I can, the, the background of it is that, um, uh, Lucy Forbes director, good friend of mine, a long-term collaborator. I've been working with her for 12 years. I think it is. Um, before we got the end of the effing world, we shot a show called in my skin. We shot a pilot called in my skin. Um, uh, Again, exception low budget. Uh, th- that pilot got her the end of the effing world, and it got me the end of the effing world. In order to cope with the restrictions on that show, we came up with what we thought was absolutely genius at the time. It turns out everyone does it: uh, a, a rule book, a shooting rule book, um, uh, with sort of ten rules which would always obey, uh, and and it made life shooting that show a lot easier, and it gave it a, a bit of style. And so when we got the end of the effing world, we decided to do exactly the same thing, uh, which was uh, to come up with a quite a strict rule book uh, with a list of uh, sort of visual rules, which we would always follow. Um, it turns out that people do that all the time, apparently. But, um, but we, we were exceptionally, <laughs> we were very tough with it, uh, and, uh, but also exceptionally strict uh, with it. And we stuck to it almost 100% uh, for, for the end of the effing world. Um, and, and, you know, those, those sort of, those sort of uh, limitations, you know, you set, you set yourself these limitations and the limitations give a style uh, and it, it forces you to work creatively with it, within those. Uh, and, it's, and it's just such a great way of working. I would highly recommend it. And I've got in front of me a 19-page um, uh, rule book. Um, also, the rule book, which is also very handy, is, you know, so I, I shot the, um, the first half of the show. Uh, another DP called uh, Ben Todd shot the second half of the show and this this rule book allows you to do a handover to to, to to the second block and say, look, this is what we're doing. So you have some continuity of 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 style. Um, uh, and and with the with the other DOP or other DOPs on on bigger jobs working within that. You came in on season two. Now uh, I know you developed a rule book for season two, but did you have anything guiding you from season one, or were you able to just kind of start from scratch uh, on your season? We had a, a couple of little uh, notes from season one, but but certainly no uh, no real book. But but obviously we've got the the, the show to, to 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 look at. Um, yeah. But we were we were generally left on our own to our own devices to 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 come up with a uh, a, a, a real book um, uh, for season two. All right, so let's kind of walk through it and tell the audience what is the makeup of this rule book and what kind of things are you putting in it. Um, so, I mean, I can, I can literally go page by page. We'll skip out a couple of little top, super top secret things. Um, I mean, one of the most obvious ones about the show, and this is something which we did take from the first series of the central framing. Um, uh, you know, everything is bang on, bang in the middle of the frame, um, right on the crosshairs in the camera. Um, mm. uh, and, and that is taken from, from the graphic novel itself, you know, where it's super simple, super graphic, you know, Every, everything is right right in the middle of frame. Um, and I think we sort of um, uh, developed that slightly in the second series. There's occasional times and there's a photo in the rule book, which no one can see. But 
um, where, where we actually also centrally framed on empty space sometimes as well. Uh, you know, between two characters or, or whatever to, to, to show a separation. So it's, it's a really simple, powerful tool. It also really helps with the cut as well. You know, you're, you're, you, your eyes aren't darting around the place when you're, um, when you're watching the show. Your eyes are just in the center of the screen uh, and, uh, and it, it, it just makes a very easy watch as well as being super graphic. So even dialogue between two people, when you're going, you know, one person to the next, you're keeping them center frame. Bang in the middle every single time. Every every last single thing uh, in the show is is centrally framed, pretty much. Um, uh, so that's so that's a really easy sort of style point, um, uh, which hopefully, if anyone's watched the show, they'll they've seen. Uh, but if not, surprise, centrally framed. <laughs> well, you know, it, something is interesting about that to me because you had mentioned it's really easy for the edit, which makes sense and you know easy to watch. But I think people are kind of more. I think people are more familiar with or even expect to have, you know, the if someone's kind of off to the left-hand side, they're looking to the right. If they're off to the right-hand side, looking to the left. So Classic throwing framing. yeah, th- throwing people in the center as as you know, as much as it is easy to edit and easy to watch, there is something different about it. It it feels it feels a little almost like it's not off-putting, but it's you're noticing that something is different. It's definitely isolating, you know. That's the word, isolating. You know, and 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 you know, I think all these every character in the show is 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 awkward, not isolated, and full of angst and 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 whatever. Um, so so it definitely, definitely, definitely helps that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it absolutely does. Um, it's, it's a weird thing working on a show like this for sort of three months, where you are always centrally framing, and then you come off it and go into a commercial and. You frame to a side, and you're like, "This looks so weird. Why am I? This is this is awful." Like you, you get so trained to do this one thing over the course of a shoot, and the second you go onto another shoot, you're like, "This is this is terrible. This is not centrally framed." I think, in fact, I think I had dreams about not centrally framing stuff uh, after I finished the job. It's very strange. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah, I, I like I like the approach. I think it's really cool, and and I think that it makes that the word isolation was exactly what I was looking for. Like it makes everybody feel alone in the frame. Um, which is a, a really, you know, it makes sense for the storyline. It makes sense for the character development, but it's just a unique take on it. I really like that a lot. Um, all right. So just kind of scrolling through your document here, you have some notes about, you know, tilting, uh, establishers, moving the camera, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that a little bit more and where those decisions, what those decisions were and what they mean. Why did you choose them? So um, these are definitely of uh, Lucy Forbes and mine own devising. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the page right now. So n- number one is, is zero tilt. Uh, so it's very rare that we look up or look down at anything. The camera is almost always zeroed on its tilt. Um, and, and, you know, that's just a minimalist thing. That's just a, a minimalism. You know, the camera is always an eye line. The camera very rarely looks up or down uh, at, at anything. Um, just pure minimalism. It's like they just plonk the camera there and it's going, it's going straight on. That's, that's how it is. Mm. Um, no establishers. Um, that was uh, an important thing for, for Lucy and I. You know, there's no you know, shot of the apartment in Friends with a bit of music over it. There's none of that, none of that crap. Uh, there's, there's no fat to trim on the show, you know, um, p- partly because we didn't have time to shoot any establishers, but also, you know, p- p- partly because it's, w- w- why are you showing an exterior of this place Where's the character development there? Um, uh, and, and another big, big one down there is is minimize operating. You know, tried really, really hard not to operate the camera, uh, mm. not to not to stick with people, not to pan around. There's there's a few moments we just have to, um, but 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 for the most part, that camera is locked off. It's almost like it, it, it's I, I I get worried that people think I'm being lazy uh, <laughs> when I have these when I have these uh, when I have these rules. Definitely not being being. You know, when I'm on set, I'm I'm just standing next to a locked off camera, and everyone's like, "Oh, what, what are you doing, Ben? You're just standing there staring at the camera. Do something, point it, please." But actually, all, all these things combine to, to, and all these things are actually not additions. These are actually we're subtracting stuff. You know, so we're subtracting the ability to tilt the camera. We're subtracting the ability to operate. We're subtracting the establishers from the show, and and all these rules are making things simpler and simpler and more minimalist. Uh, and that was the goal with, with them. Um, and, and that gives the show style and then also forces you to think creatively um, when you really want to tilt. The next one is, 
I've never referred to it like this before or heard it referred to like this before, but your framing is called nipples and up. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, you know, there's a num- number of reasons for this, really. Um, w- w- one is to help. Yeah, so you, the, the, there is there are no close-ups in the show. There's one or two. But for the most part, there's no close-ups in the show. It's not a, it's not a close-up show. Um, number of reasons for this. Number one is we don't have the time to get coverage. We don't have the time to get a big wide and a close-up. You know, we're up against it. We, you know, we we get one shot on each person in the scene, and and that is a, a sort of medium close up, mid shot into medium close up, nipples and up. Um, uh, for, for, for minor things, I think it's a, a very cinematic way of working. You know, for me, classic cinema is not about massive close ups, not on a fifty foot screen. It's yeah. it's about the mid shot, um, and I think it really lends itself to, uh, to, to 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 that. And the other one is to, to to isolate people in frame again. You know, if you're in a big close up, you don't. There's no space around them. There's no isolation. Whereas uh, whereas on 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 this sort of mid shot, medium close up nipples and upshots, there's, there's a lot of space, you know, and they are every time, even on the close-up, the show close-up, uh, they're isolated. And I think there might, now I haven't seen every episode of the whole series, and so I might be wrong, but of what I did see, I think not getting that close, I noticed it before even looking at mm. your rule book, I, I, I absolutely noticed that. And what I, what was interesting to me is this idea that you can never you 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 never feel like you're completely connected to the characters and like totally understand them. There's always this disconnect where they can do things that are unexpected because you have no expectations. You, you're not able to get close to them, literally and figuratively. Mm, mm. And and it, as an essential fact, we're not close to each other either because there's, no, there's almost no over-the-shoulder work. It's almost always clean singles. Um, I'm surprised we haven't got that on the rule book, really. That's a weird thing. So, you know, there's, 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 there's no over the shoulder shots, everyone's got their own clean single. When you have a dialogue scene, the camera's in the middle of the two casts, it's not over the shoulder, it's not back on a longer lens over the shoulder. Um, and again, everyone's isolated. You know, it's a single shot for each person's got their own single portraits in a scene. Yeah. So I want to take a moment and talk about our sponsor, MZ. Now, MZ is education for creatives, which is why it makes all the sense in the world to have them speaking to you guys, the Go Creative Show audience. Uh, MZ has hundreds and hundreds of hours, hundreds of hours of really high quality video-based filmmaking education in a whole bunch of different um, categories that are perfect for us. I'm talking about directing, cinematography, post-production, visual storytelling, and they're always pumping brand new courses into the platform. And yes, you can buy individual courses, and that's a great way to do it. But if you become an MZ Pro member, you've got access to the entire library, and it's just a really good way to keep up with your education, your filmmaking education. Now, MZ has a brand new course that is really exciting. You guys are going to love this. It's called The Art and Technique of Film Editing, and they've got Tom Cross. If you guys don't know who Tom Cross is, he was the editor of La La Land, First Man, Whiplash, and more. So this guy has got chops. And who doesn't want to learn from somebody at his level, right? That is what MZ is all about. High-quality educators and giving you high-quality education to just make you a better filmmaker. So check it out for yourself at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, M-Z-E-D. Talk to me a little bit about your lens selection. And also, too, I want to know what you shot on as well. But let's talk about the camera and lens package. Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll start with the camera package. Um, so we, um, uh, the first series was shot on a RED of some kind. I don't really like RED cameras. Um, I don't find them terribly fun to use. Um, uh, so I wanted to shoot on, on Alexa. Netflix have a rule about uh, 4K. Um, they have a specific 4K requirements. But luckily for me, um, the Alexa LF had just been released. So the large format Alexa, which passed Netflix's requirements. Uh, and I did a little bit of testing on it, and I asked nicely, uh, and we managed to get uh, an Alexa LF for the shoot, which was great. I mean, for me, the, the Ari sensor uh, is uh, is unlike any other camera sensor, and really, for me, that's all about highlights. It handles highlights in an amazingly filmic way, which really looks after me as a DOP. 
Mm. Um, uh, you know, I know I'm not burning out highlights left and right, which I know on red is very easy to do. I know on Sony cameras, I used one last week, it was very easy to do. Um, so, uh, so you know, I'm a big fan of the Alexa, and so that was my my straightaway went there. Um, we did a lot of testing on on the uh, Alexa LF uh, before shoot, shot us tests, took them to Toby Tompkins, a colorist who's an absolute genius. And uh, one of the things we noticed about the uh, Alexa LF is it's essentially made up, its sensor is made up out of essentially two normal Alexa sensors. So that's a normal Alexa sensor, and you put them next to each other, and you get the LF sensor. So you've got double the number of pixels, which once they're mashed together, essentially means you've got half the noise floor. So what that essentially means is you can rate the camera at 1600 ISO, double the sensitivity of a normal Alexa. Um, and all that information is, is essentially gives you an extra stop in the highlights. So you've got this, and when you're talking about, you know, a, a camera of latitude of sort of 13, 14 plus stops, an extra stop is a huge amount more information. So yeah. we, 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 we shot me the Alexa LF at 1600 ISO, and that gave us another stop of, of headroom in the highlights. A, again, you know, one of the keywords of the show is filmic. And so that really allowed us to roll off the highlights in an amazingly filmic way without paying any price uh, in, the, in the darker end of the picture. Um, so re- really, I sort of feel like, yeah, it was, it's, uh, it, it, it re- the, the choice of camera really did help help the show uh, massively. Mm. Um, with, with that, because it's a large format camera, you've also then got to find large format lenses which, which work with it, um, of which there weren't many. Um, but uh, I just happens to own a set of Zeiss Supreme Primes. Um, uh, I own them because actually if I bought them for the show. Um, uh, and they are amazing. They are, they are uh, amazingly fast, especially for full frame, a T1.5, which is, you know, about as fast as you can get on a full frame lens. Um, they are, uh, they're sharp, but not overly sharp. Uh, they have a lovely texture to them. And also there's a great range of lenses as well. Um, uh, and and like you say, lens choice, the focal length choice was a big part of the show. Yeah. You know, the, the, the lens we used were the 35mm, the 50mm, and the 65mm. Um, and, you know, those lenses are sort of all a midpoint. Then there's no wide lenses and there's no long lenses in that trio. It's just a, sort of this minimalist, minimalist midpoint where they're all kind of roughly, you know, in the middle of the set. Um, you're not, you, know, you haven't got any super wide stuff and you haven't got any long lens uh, stuff in there. Um, and, and again, that that created its own, you know, that was a big limitation. That created issues, creative issues, issues which we had to solve creatively. You know, you had to, you want to get wide, you got to pull the camera back. You want to get closer, you got to move it forward. A sort of really simple, basic filmmaking way of working. Um, you know, not just, oh, I'll just chuck on a 200 millimeter or, oh, let's just have a, a 10 mil in the box just in case. Yeah. Um, uh, so again, playing into the the, the minimalist style of, of the show. Um, I'm actually surprised that your widest lens was a 35. I mean, I know I see in the book here you used a 29 for something, but I, I'm I'm surprised because I figured on a show like this, a show with this budget, um, you probably weren't building many sets, if at all. So you're kind of having to just work with locations, homes, and things that are already there. And you usually don't have a lot of space in these spots. Yeah, correct. Um, but there's not many wide shots in the show. You know, again, it's just this sort of ultra-minimalist, if, if you can't get a wide shot in, you don't crowbar it in. You know, if you can't get, if you can't get the camera far enough back on a, on a show legal lens, you, you just don't get the shot. Yeah. Um, and so, in a, it, you know, it really gives the show style, but it also gives you a weird sort of creative freedom where you're like, well, you can't do it then. Fine, move on. How do we wow. do this? How do we tell this story? How Do we need this wide shot? No, you probably don't. Great, done. You know, and that's it's so many, it's it's so strange because you'd think all these limitations would give you issues, but actually the limitations really free you up uh, in, uh, in, 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 diff- in ways you wouldn't expect. Did you run into any situations where you're like, uh, I really know we shouldn't be breaking the rules, but I have to do it right now. Like, how strict were you? Or And would you compromise, like, something that you knew may have been better, but you really needed to stay to those rules? Yeah, I mean, look, ultimately, the bottom line is you you need to shoot a show and you need to tell the story. So there, there um, I think, and in the rule book, there is a, a shot, in this rule book, which I produced halfway through the shoot, um, uh, or finished halfway through the shoot, um, 
that um, there is a shot of um, Alex Lawther, James, uh, lying on the back seats of uh, his father's old car, clutching the urn which contains his father's ashes, which is a, a, a you know a beautiful moment. I think I referred to at the start of the podcast. You know, we've taken this kid who wanted to be a serial killer, and we have, uh, you know, he we've absolutely you know we've we've disabled him, we've killed his dad, we've broken his heart, uh, and and now he's having his you know a, a moment in his dad's old car clutching his ashes he's absolutely broken and i was very keen on getting you know you you you, you want to see that frame you want to see the car you need to see alex and yet yeah, we shot that on a slightly wider than legal lens um but it's it's actually my favorite shot in, in the whole series in fact it's actually my favorite moment let's say in the, in the whole series that moment with um with uh, with with james holding his dad's ashes and, and it's a really powerful moment in, in fact actually we I, we weren't quite ready to shoot that when 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 so we had the camera when we were actually shooting the scene we had the camera in there i wanted to get a bit more lighting in there for, for some reason uh, and alex lawther who who plays james just he was holding into a lot of emotion and he said to me can we please just go, Ben? And I said, okay, great. I pressed record on my camera and picked up my walkie-talkie. It's like, right, we're filming now, so uh, let's go for it. And everyone paid attention and started filming. And, uh, and there's this, like, amazing moment where he's, you know, showing the most amazing emotion. Uh, uh, and I'm very glad that we broke the rules for, for, for that one moment. And so I, you know, it no is so intuitive of you to, to let that, really a directorial choice, be the actor. And just being like the actor, just knowing his performance, knowing himself, and you allowing that to happen is really good. That's well, that's I love that. But but that's what that's what we're there for. And and also you know Lucy Forbes, director. I, I've known her for years, and she knows that if I'm saying we've just got to go right now and let's just do it and turn over, then she knows that I'm not taking the piss or anything like that. She'll yeah. And and that's just you know just just trust. And also I I trust Alex. And if Alex was saying I you know I've been working for a couple of weeks at that point, I think he's a fantastic actor. You just go. They, in all honesty, actors do something which I can never, ever, ever, ever do. I am constantly baffled by their ability to to control and hold on to emotions and things like that. And it's it's truly fascinating for me as a as a quite awkward science fiction geek uh, that they can that they can do that. So yeah, at, at that point, I was like, Alex, if you need this, we'll we'll do it. We're 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 all there for you. We can just make it work. Let's record and um, yeah, let's go, guys. We have a question on an Instagram. Uh, it's sort of related to what we're talking about, mm. at least half of it. Calum J on Instagram is asking best and worst shot throughout the series. Mm. You had just told us the best. Yes. Which is this shot in the car. Now tell us the worst. And I don't know what, what, what worst in which way. Maybe it's your least favorite or the most challenging. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can define I mean, worst. Um, but and thank you, Caleb, for the question. Yeah, th- yeah. Thanks very much indeed for that. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, I'll, I'll, yeah, I've uh, I've had two thirds of a bottle of beer. I might as well tell you um, my, my my honest feelings. Yeah, look. So this sort of this whole this whole sort of honesty and simplicity and filmmaking thing. I uh, I it, it, for me, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. I, I I really do think it comes across in the show, and I think it was a fantastic way of working. I think it fit within the time and budget that we had. But I do think, you know, I, I think I wrote to you before. I sort of almost put a role playing game hat on. I was like, right, what what would happen here if I was shooting an indie movie in the nineties and I had a slow film stock? What would this look like? And that's what I asked myself every morning when I got to work: is how how would this look? You know, how can I pull this back? How far can I pull things back on on this show? And so my favourite shot is I've got two favourite shots, but my pretty much my favourite shot is is that one referred to with James on the on the backseat of the car holding his dad's ashes. There is a shot um, uh, a bit later, I think it's in episode three, with um, Jess Barden, amazing actress uh, Alyssa, where uh, she's in the forest and uh, he's just stopped his car in front of her. And this is, I mean, I've, oh yeah, I've, this is probably me burying my soul here. I, I, uh, I feel I should have put more light on her. I feel that I'm sort of like trying to go with this honest thing, uh, but, but it's all very toppy. It, you know, I, I, she was supposed to have been crying in, in the in the thing, but I just wish I'd looked after her a little bit more. But at the time, I was like a bit of Polly, and that's all she's getting because that's all we'd have if we were shooting a '90s indie movie. So I sort of, I, I sort of think that for me, that's my worst shot. And that appeared in the trailer. And I thought, oh, oh my gosh, um, uh, <laughs> Jess is going to Jess is going to be furious at me. Uh, you know, I, I, at the time I was really cut up about it. Before the show came out and before it turned out, people actually liked it. I was very cut up about it. Uh, and 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 for me, so this this minimalist sim- simplistic thing, I personally think 
sometimes I I took it a bit personally, a tiny bit too far. But you know what? It's that's part and parcel of it, uh, really. Um, yeah. So so that's my worst shot. My favorite shot, yes, is 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 a, it's either Alex sitting there in the back of the car, lying there in the back of the car, or it's there's a there's a shot of Alex in front of a diner um, when he's gone to go see Alyssa, and then she he realizes she's got a boyfriend, um, and there's a little there's a sort of silhouetted. Uh, shot of him against the diner lights at Blue Hour. That's that's it's on my website. <laughs> that's that's uh, my other favorite shots. Uh, uh, I, I want to go back to the rule book and just sort of wrap up yeah. our conversation about lenses because mm. um, you do incorporate some zooms in the show, and yes. um, I'd love to talk to you about that decision and sort of how you worked that into your rules. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So we, you know, we um, zooms are cool. Uh, zooms are cool and retro. Absolutely. And there's there's a lot of moments of people being in their own head uh, in 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 the show. There's lots of little moments of VO, and and really that's that's when we wanted to bring a bring a zoom into it. Um, uh, and obviously those zooms would chew through all the different focal lengths, so sure. they would be out of uh, that that control. But yes, um, there, there's lots of times where yeah, the cast are in their own heads when they've got some VO going on, uh, where where a slow a slow zoom in uh, feels pertinent. Uh, and yeah, we chuck that in there. Because they, they're cool. <laughs> Talk about filtration. What were you using on the lenses? So uh, we used um, actually, what, 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 one of the one of the things was from the first series, which I have been sworn to secrecy about, um, uh, which is the filtration, which is a, a, a vintage filtration. Um, but I, I have been specifically asked not to tell everyone about that. Uh, top secret. Um, but one of the things which I, which I brought to it, which um, I was really keen on, was a polarizing filter. Um, and uh, normally people think about polarizing filters to cut through reflections, uh, to make the sky bluer, to cut through water, things like that. Um, but actually what I, what I really like about polarizing filters is, is when you, you use them to mattify the skin, so to get rid of shine on skin. So we had essentially sort of 98% of the time we had a polarizing filter in, and I could use that to control the shine on people's skin and also to control backlight because uh, the show is not a backlight show. The show is a simple key light, that's it. Uh, you know, there's, there's no big, there's no sort of Michael Bay style backlights on people. Sometimes you can't always control that. So the polarizing filter allowed me, you can't control it with lighting. So a polarizing filter allowed me to dial out backlights uh, and also just to mattify skin and, and give people a, a more graphic look. Um, uh, and I think it, it definitely worked. Uh, we had to get rid of it a few times when we didn't have enough light on night exteriors because obviously you, use a, you lose a stop from a polarizing filter. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple of times I've right up against it uh, and had to pop it out. Let's talk about the lighting approach to the series. And there's certainly a lot of information here in the rules guide um, about, you know, different color balances and your your blue, uh, your sort of magic hour type stuff, moonlight stuff, blue light stuff. Um, but I just want to get a sense of the overall philosophy of the show. And maybe you can bring up a couple instances of maybe where you broke those rules. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, again, it, it, it was a it's a minimalism thing, and and it, for me, really, I tried hard not to light stuff, to light without lighting. And this is where my Roger Deakins reference comes in. Obviously, poster boy for every DP in the world. Um, uh, you know, I, I I sort of really wanted this to feel like it wasn't lit, um, and, and so a, a lot of the time, actually, it was just a matter of standing people in the right places. Uh, to, to catch available light, to bring in a bit of negative fill in places, or occasionally to to, to rely a, a bit harder on um, uh, on um, on on practicals uh, in in the scene. Uh, but but really, for me, it was, it was very rare that I got more than one or two lights out of a truck on each scene. Very wow. rare. Um, wow. Uh, and um, to, to be honest, I, my, my sort of my my general feeling was I would rather get out one light. And have it absolutely perfect, have it exactly the right level, and just play around with it a little tiny bit, and get it exactly the right place, and get the exposure absolutely unbelievably bang on, and everyone everyone's happy with it. Than then to get out two and two lights, and them not to be quite perfect. Um, so so really, that was for me that that, that was a really important point. Was and I've, I've said again, minimalism across every single department. You know, pulling everything back and just making that one light really really good. Or, you know, making that one angle really, really good rather than getting loads of different angles and close-ups and wide shots and things like that. Um, so, yeah, sort of minimalism, taking its cue from the graphic novel, just absolutely across the board. Do you absolutely have to do that? No, then 
just don't don't do it and make what you've got even better. So what I mean, you had mentioned it, it was rare to go beyond one or two lights in, in any given scene. What were your go-tos? Um, I mean, all sorts. I mean, I I love again with Minimus Hound, I love uh China Lanterns. Uh, um, uh, they're, they're fantastic. They, uh, they, you know, so if, if no one knows what a China lantern is, a paper lantern, you know, it's like something you get from Ikea. Yeah. Um, really simple. You can put a 100-watt light bulb in it or a 300-watt light bulb in it. Uh, you can get them quite big. I have a system called the Lantern Lock System, which is a sort of professional version of it, but essentially it's a paper lantern. Um, you can you can run them on dimmers. They they look amazing. They they're soft like a you know like a Kinoflow or whatever you want to use. They're soft like a professional film light, but they feel like a practical as well. So I use those a lot. Um, actually relied on LEDs quite a bit as well, um, especially for night exteriors. Just just because they're they're simple to use, they're quick to adjust. Um, uh, we didn't use that much HMI. Um, uh, to be honest, we started with an 18k on the truck. And after the first week, we sent it back wow. um, to, to, to free up some budget for whatever it was, something else. Uh, so I think our biggest lamp was a 4K HMI. And, and that we didn't use much. Um, again, minimalism, minimalism. Um, uh, whatever, whatever heads do we use? Um, but I guess to, to, to answer your question, um, when did I break the rules on, on the lighting? There were these uh, night exterior scenes, which um, uh, I was I always dreading because I because I wanted this minimalist approach f- from the get go. I sort of there were these sort of uh, night exteriors in the woods by the cafe uh, in episode two. It's uh, James watching Lissa, and then he crashes the car, and then they they have a little chat by the car, and the, the episode ends. For me, I'd it always been against what what the what my approach to this was. You know, really well made motivated minimalist lighting. And you just plain old can't do a night exterior in the woods, you know, and expect to see anything uh, with with that approach. So we had to, of course, have huge, great cherry picker crane arms with lamps on the top, um, uh, which at first I was against, but actually I, I look at it now and it was it was kind of okay. And I think you can see in the rule book uh, for these night exteriors, I've got a reference from True Grit, Roger Deakins, um, which, which has got this exceptionally deep blue, this deep down blue moonlight. Um, uh, mixed in with this with this warmth, uh, and uh, and that was a, a key reference for me on how to achieve these night exteriors. And I think actually, I think we just about got there. Oh, absolutely! That that first of all, the reference is amazing. True Grit, obviously, it's, great. it's uh, it, it great reference. But you achieved it, and honestly, I have to say that I I think excelled on it in some situations because I think you let more of the scene be warm than even the references in True Grit, like the. The interior lights certainly are going to be warmer than exterior, but I love the way that you balanced that really ultra blue, blue hour with the super warmth. And there's a lot of saturation in those scenes and it's really compelling. I absolutely love it. So first of all, this, um, uh, the, the scene that we're talking about, well, at least that I'm talking about outside of the cafe, it's in the episode that you're nominated for the Emmy for, which congratulations. I know you mentioned it earlier, but I wanted to start with that and we're an hour in and I'm just mentioning it now, but, um, but in the episode is fantastic. It looks amazing and, and certainly well worth the nomination. But in particular, I think it was that scene outside of the cafe is probably one of the many in that, in that episode that really, um, that really shined a light on this, on the, your work in particular and this show. So first, can we just take a minute and talk about the, the scene so we can bring everybody up to speed, what it is. Um, and sort of how you've created that look, because I think people are going to be surprised with how little you did <laughs> to actually make that scene happen. So, I mean, yeah, so it, it is one of my one of my favorite scenes in terms of how it looks, but also in terms of what we do to poor James. Uh, so it's, it's at the end of I mean, the whole, the whole episode is one, essentially one big montage, but it's at the end of a long montage where we've disabled him, we've killed his dad, um, and we've... Uh, we're just breaking his heart at that exact moment. Uh, so he's pulled up to the cafe and he sees uh, Alyssa with her new husband from afar and he wanders away uh, with his limp. Um, and, uh, and, and, and really, to be honest, that, <clears throat> there's not, put my honesty hat on, there's not a huge number of scenes and shots where on first reading, I was like, oh my God, this has to look this way. But actually, this was one of those moments mm. where I, I, was, I was reading it. I was like, just you know, blue hour, deep, deep, deep blue, 
dusk right at the end of of the day with a sort of you know a red a red cafe neon and a, and the warm lights in and I and it's on it's on the it's on the real book and it's I think it's Michael Moser somewhere and James broken silhouetted in front of that and really for me that's the accumulation of of the absolute destruction of James throughout the second half of uh, of this episode and yeah and and yeah I'm I'm I'm, I'm I am actually I'm not happy with 99.9% of my work I think it's rubbish but that that that, that 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 scene that scene is uh, is is actually something which I'm proud of with almost no lighting uh, you know, that's, I think there's five shots uh, in that scene. Uh, and they're all at blue hour. We got them all at the same time. And really all it was, was some, you know, some simple minimalists, as a word again, filmmaking. You know, we c- communicated what we had to achieve in the time. Blue hour lasts, you know, 20, 25 minutes. Um, th- there's a lot going on there. You know, there's stuff coming out of a chimney. There's there's cues for um, Jess Barden. There's cues for Alex. There's emotion to be had. But we we talked it through. We talked about what shots we could achieve perhaps with a slight trick of the Y balance, um, looking away from a cafe right at the end of the day uh, um, after the sunset and then what we'd need actually real honest to God blue hour for. Um, and then we sort of, as as the light faded on blue hour, you know, obviously you can just open up the camera, um, but then all the practicals get much brighter. So we had to have all the practicals in the cafe, which was a set build, um, uh, wired up and all the neons in the cafe wired up. And as the light dropped, and as we got takeoffs taken, shot after shot, we'd have to dim those down as well. And then a little so weak on the white balance, a little tweak on the sensitivity on the camera, uh, uh, so and riding it all the way into nothingness. So yeah, but in, in terms of in terms of, I, I think that's a sort of a, a very good example of of how we shot the show, which was simple filmmaking ideas. Um, which which anyone can do. Obviously, we had a cafe wired up, but you know, we, we, we didn't have you know dozens of HMIs and hundreds of tungsten lights and sky panels everywhere. We had none of that stuff. There was no actual lights on set. Um, we just we just really careful with how we shot it and and, uh, and and worked really fast. It's an absolutely beautiful scene, and I, I love how simple it was to put together. I mean, I know you had a extre- you know real extreme time constraints, obviously. Um, but uh, you know, and it's weird. That actually reminds me. Um, did you see Ford versus Ferrari by any chance? Oh no, I haven't. I've not. I've not right. No. That um, we had the cinematar- We had the director of photography on to talk about that. I can't remember his name, but it was um, I think last summer. Um, and it, I was bl- like, see that movie if no, if for no other reason, because they shot so much stuff like it at actual Magic Hour. Like they really great. Like to to just know that there's a major motion picture having to be limited by like 25, 30 minutes of magic hour and making the Mm. decision to do that and not bring it into a studio and green screen and all this stuff and just be Mm -hmm. like, no, this is what it looks like at this time of day. And um, it's, it's just interesting to see that even at that level, how much you just can't replicate what mother nature gives you by way of lighting. You just can't. Absolutely, you can't. And, and you know what? A, a film crew will fight against every last thing they can. They'll fight against the laws of the land. They'll fight against time. They'll fight against every last little thing. But when it comes to the earth spinning around, uh, funnily enough, <laughs> that, 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 takes, that takes precedent. That takes priority. Um, uh, so yeah, it's a, it's, 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 a, it's a fun thing to do. And there's no, there's no other way of achieving that at all other than being very strict with yourself, strict with time, director being strict with the number of takes, cast being absolutely on it with, with what they're going to do emotionally. And, and also that all that's being communicated by the first AD and all that being communicated by heads of department, everybody all pushing in the same direction at the same time. And, and, and also, you know, with, with a show like this, we're not in that location the next day. We don't get a second chance at that. We get one chance at it and then and then it's over or it's an exceptionally embarrassing phone call to the producer saying uh, yeah we uh, screwed that up you're going to have to pay tens of thousands of pounds to have a crew come back and do something which which didn't happen once uh, I don't think why don't uh, you like your own work well, I mean, what is who, that about who, who does you're who an likes... Emmy nominated director uh, of photography th- enough already Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I you know no, nobody nobody likes their own work. I I defy you to find a, a DOP who's like, oh, my work's really good actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, and, and and you know, absolutely there's some bits which I'm like, oh, that's all right. Um, but yeah, I I defy you to find anybody who is who truly sits there smugly at, at their own work. And yeah, if you do find them, send send them my way, and I'll. <laughs> 
comment I would, no, I won't. I should be happy for them. I'll be happy for them. That's I'm right. Thrilled for anybody who's absolutely <laughs> smugly infatuated with their own work. <laughs> I got a couple of last minute questions just as we're yeah, wrapping up here. Um, we have uh, eleven Emilys on Instagram. Best part of filming the series. The best part of filming the series. Um, uh, so t- t- two things. One is, I'll be honest, the, the, the people like it. You know, it's, it's uh, Lucy Forbes and I were torn apart before it came out. We went through a process of like, oh, we quite like it. We don't like it. We like it. We don't like it. And then it's coming out and we're like, oh my God, are people going to like it? Uh, and, and people actually do like it, especially the fans. And it's such a nice thing where you're actually actually truly making people happy and really entertaining them. So n- number one is the fact that people actually like it. Uh, which is a real thrill. Um, and the other two, what, the other one is, I mean, it's, it, it is, is just the act of making it, is the act of being creative with a team of people. I have the best camera department, the best lighting department, the best grip department, honestly. The, the, the act of all pushing together in the same way to make something creative um, where everybody was on board with this and everybody was smiling and happy is, yeah, that that's probably the best bit, in fact. The, the actual making it, even though it's cold and you've got to get up at four o'clock in the morning and you're a bit stressed and whatever, that's that is still the best thing. So uh, I know it's very general, but the making is. All right, I like that. Tofu Medler on Instagram. Most embarrassing moment on set. The most embarrassing moments on set for me. Uh, actually, this is going to be. I tell you what, this is going to be a little a peek into my into my own psyche. Uh, um, actually, on the first day. Um, I got very stressed and I lost my cool. I didn't shout at anyone or anything like that, but I uh, essentially there was a long, very boring story about timings for the day uh, and jenning up windows. And the first day on any big shoot is hellish because nobody, you know, we haven't all worked together before and you've got to, you've literally got to hit the ground running. You've got to sprint before you can walk. And uh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I definitely didn't uh, shout at anyone, but I definitely lost my cool. I was like, oh my God, we're going to have to reshoot this. Uh, is, is what I said uh, and uh, and we didn't and we made it uh, and yeah but I, I had a I had a very I, I felt very stressed and I was obviously very stressed and so I made a note um, to myself to never ever ever lose my cool and I never will again um, so yeah I, de- I, def- I definitely definitely lost my cool um, you know first day on a big shoot uh, lots of stress and uh, I, we between me and the first AD not his fault mine we got the timings wrong um, but if, no one will ever know <laughs> oh shit I just said it on a podcast oh, everyone no. will know uh, oh no <laughs> uh, KKK on Instagram what does your gaffer mean to you uh, what does my gaffer mean to me I mean so it's, it's, for me there's two things you know a, a, a gaffer does one is the the purely logistical side of sorting things out you know making sure there's enough people to to lay the cables making sure there's enough lights to light the scene you know looking after stands and whatever and doing all that and the other side is you know the creative side uh, and i was very lucky i had two gaffers on, on this project um both both of whom you know essentially you what a gaffer wants and this, this what i think a gaffer wants i don't want to put words in the mouth is you know the 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 big show where they got all the 18ks and the soft suns and all that kind of stuff you know where they do big big lighting setups and both my gaffers uh, on this, uh, uh, Ollie Wickman and Gavin Waters, were definitely bought into the less is more uh, uh, view on this. It took, might take them a tiny bit of time, but you know, ultimately they 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 both essentially understood the creative brief um, yeah. uh, once once we got going on it. Uh, and and what you want is a gaffer who's creatively on board with you, and who sort of follows your lead and then offers up uh, creative suggestions, uh, you know, along those, those those lines. So yeah, a, a gaffer's job is is twofold. One is to protect me logistically, uh, and the other one is to be on board with the with the creative and and help and help help us achieve that and come up with good ideas. Um, and I was very lucky with both my gaffers on this, uh, who, who, who did both of those. Somebody wants to know if you had a choice, if you had to choose someone from the crew to live with, who would it be? It's from Addy uh, Zombane. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but if you had to choose someone from the crew to live with, who would it be? <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting a question. question. Um, but I actually have answer lived. it. This is hard hitting questions I, here at is, Go Creative. This is what people want to know. Yeah, um, I uh, worked with, uh, I lived with Dan Villanueva, who is the first AC, the focus puller, who is a genius behind the focus wheel. Um, he's a very good friend of mine. I've worked with him for many years now, ten a solid ten years. Uh, and uh, I actually lived, did live with him uh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, on a TV series 
a couple of months after we shot this, uh, the TV series of In My Skin, which is the thing I shot with Lucy Ford before this. So Dan and I lived together for five weeks in Cardiff in Wales, uh, and he was a fantastic uh, flatmate. All right, there you go. So you had some experience with him already, so you know. <laughs> That's good. And yep. lastly, Blended Tom wants to know when Tail Slate's coming back. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, a competitive podcast. Um, oh, please. Uh, Who cares? Yeah, sorry. I mean, nothing, nothing on this one, of course. Um, uh, it, uh, it is uh, both Ed and I have been exceptionally busy with lots of things. Uh, Ed Moore, DA, uh, BSC, uh, DOP. Um, so uh, um, uh, don't hold your breath, uh, but don't say never. But you have episodes that people can listen to out there right now, right? I absolutely do at tailstate.fm. Um, thank you for giving me the airwaves. Uh, yes, uh, I do. It's, to be honest, they're, they're quite old now. They're getting like three years old, most of them. Um, but people like them, uh, you know, yeah, people like them, which is such a sweet thing that people won't actually want to hear me rambling on about lenses and shit. Well, it, I mean, that anybody listening to this show would be interested. And so what if it's old? I mean... You know, it is what it is. And you've got, there's two DPs on the show. So it's not like an interview show. It's just the two of you guys yammering away about cinematography. I think that sounds awesome. Oh, cheers, Ben. Thanks, man. So people can check it out, tailslate.fm. All right. Well, Benedict, I mean, the show is great. Uh, End of the effing world. It's on Netflix right now. Two seasons. It's so good. You guys should absolutely check it out. I'm excited to wrap up. I need to finish. I think I have like three episodes left. And it's short. These are short episodes. I think um, the one that's nominated for the Emmy is like 19 minutes or something like that, 20 yeah, minutes. Really so, short. You've got no excuse not to watch them. Exactly, exactly. And I, they're just, they're really easy to watch. Great story. The acting is amazing. It looks great. And, um, you know, now kind of hearing behind the scenes how you made it all happen, it makes it even, even more you know, fun to watch. So thank you so much for sharing that information. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for giving me the time to talk about minimalism. Is that weird? Of course. I love that. Uh, all right. So where can people go to learn more about you? Anything you want to plug? Um, I mean, not really. Um, I, I have a, I guess I have a, 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 a sort of quite an active Instagram account where I, I, I talk about my work a lot. Benedict underscore Spence underscore DAP. Um, other than that, if there's anyone from ME listening, uh, forget about The Mandalorian. It's, it's, it's rubbish. Uh, please vote for uh, End of the Effing World. <laughs> there <laughs> you go. Rubbish. It's amazing. It's amazing. I love The Mandalorian. It's actually brilliant. What a great, now that's the perfect place to cut. We're going to cut right after you say it's rubbish. And that'll be the clip that we put out on Instagram. <laughs> Benedict Spence says The Mandalorian is rubbish. <laughs> Don't do that to me, please. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on. And uh, I'd love to have you back for your next project. Thanks, Ben. All right. I want to thank Benedict Spence for coming on the show and talking to us all about his show Bible, his show rules, and of course, how he made the look of End of the Effing World. So it was a great conversation. I hope you guys liked it. Let us know in the comments. And certainly you can reach out to us across all of our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. We're there, we're everywhere. And thank you guys for supporting the show. I also want to thank our sponsor, MZ Education for Creatives. And of course, the people behind the scenes making this whole thing happen. Matt Russell, who mixes and masters and makes the show sound so good. And of course, Connor Crosby. Uh, he's producing the show, and you can find him at ignitionvisuals.com and Matt at gainstructure.com. And of course, you can find me at Ben Consoli on Instagram. I've been doing a lot of stuff on Instagram lately, sharing um, my techniques for remote production, as well as just showing you what we're doing on sets. You know, production is so different now, and it's interesting to see what people are doing, how the rules have changed, and uh, what rules are being implemented in what way across the country, across the world. So uh, I share a lot of that on my Instagram stories. Now, of course, we gotta thank all of you as well. Uh, you've been sharing, you've been listening, you've kept us going all throughout these past few years, and I can't thank you enough. So head over to gocreativeshow.com for the show notes from today's episode and all previous episodes, and we will see you next week on another episode of Go Creative Show, podcast for filmmakers.